Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Whoa. Welcome everyone to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. My name is Trevor and Carolyn is in the studio with me today. Hello, hello. And uh, yeah, that was Sally with one of her replays uh, for a summer special. Uh, She's on break at the moment and um, we don't have Zane's interview coming up because it was a replay of an old show. Um, Yeah. But uh, But look it up if you missed that one. Definitely. Yeah, Yeah, look it up. It's on the archive. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Today... Carolyn, what's in store for today? Yeah, so today we're actually going to play some of the speeches from Farm Transparency Project's The Big Pig Vigil. So people who are aware of Farm Transparency Project's work, they have, through a lot of 2023 and ongoing, been focusing on a pressure campaign around pigs and focusing on really what the reality of pigs is in the industry and highlighting that, obviously, for public awareness and also pushing for legislative change. So on October the 22nd, they had a big pig vigil at Diamond Valley Pork in Laverton here in Victoria, and it was a 24-hour vigil, and it was a really lovely emotional event. I was only there for, for some hours of it, and we are bringing you some of the speeches from that day. Yeah, so first up is Harley introducing Ali, and yep. uh, yeah, you'll hear that now. Hi, everyone. Before we get started, I just want to acknowledge the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, the traditional custodians of the land where we're holding this vigil today. Uh, We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. So thanks, everyone, for being here. Unexpectedly, but not so unexpectedly, we haven't had any trucks yet. And this is very unusual for Diamond Valley pork on a Sunday. So what this tells us is that they're so frightened of a group of peaceful protesters that they won't even bring trucks of pigs in. I think it's pretty shameful that they're, you know, if they have nothing to hide, why haven't they been operating as usual? So we're going to hear from three speakers who are all volunteers with Farm Transparency Project. So first we're going to hear from Ali Roberts, who's an environmental animal activist. And then we're going to hear from Anthony Bruno. And finally, we'll hear from Katrina Marshall, who's the Outreach and Social Media Coordinator at Farm Transparency Project. I'll invite Ali to come up first. For those who haven't met me yet, I am Ali. Um, I just wanted to start by sharing a little bit of a glimpse into my journey into activism. Um, It was actually back in 2020, I took on a beginner role as a fundraiser. And at the start, I thought, this is great. You know, I was speaking to other people that also cared about animals, the environment. I was working for organizations like Animals Asia and Four Paws and the Bob Brown Foundation, conversing with literally hundreds of people all across 
uh, Australia and New Zealand as well, which sort of led me to the realisation that, holy shit, people do care. And while initially I loved the work from home vibe, and while I was still having Zoom meetings with people all across both countries, I still felt myself at the end of the day, once I closed my laptop, once I finished work, feeling quite isolated, quite alone. Not sure if you guys have ever related to that sort of feeling. My family are farmers. I had no vegan friends other than Sean. It was crystal clear to me that even though I was struggling with this aspect, I couldn't return to a life outside of my involvement in direct action. And an inner urge drove me to do a little bit more. So that was actually when I joined FTP for a march. All of a sudden, I was no longer alone. Rather, I was surrounded by literally hundreds of people marching through Melbourne CBD, people who shared the exact same passion that I had. And since then, I've, I've grown, I've, I've learned, I've made unbreakable friendships. And some of the people here today, actually, their presence, it gives me faith in the goodness of the world. And even when I glance at challenges like the one beside us, I know that together we can and that we are making a difference. It may seem frustratingly slow, but change is happening. We see it every day. We've also all heard the saying, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, everybody would be vegan. Well, having been to a few slaughterhouses now myself, I can confirm they do in fact have glass walls, glass windows at least. They've just been concealed from public view. They've been shrouded in secrecy, masked by the lies propagated by the meat, dairy and egg industries. Every action that we take as activists, though, is like throwing a rock at those metaphorical and physical glass windows. It's compelling people to make the connection. Humans are distinct from animals in one key way. We have a moral conscience, the ability to discern right from wrong. And what we find is that most people, when prompted, they do in fact care about animals in the same way that much of us would, all of us would. We have a moral duty to shatter the cognitive dissonance that obstructs the public from peering through those glass windows. The tiniest act of activism can sow the seed of change. The pebble that shattered my own window was the ban live export campaign back in 2020 run by Animals Australia. It wasn't even necessarily a vegan specific campaign. It was talking about live export. But look at where it got me here today, surrounded by extraordinary people who are willing to spend yet another Sunday at another fucking slaughterhouse. There's something I always used to tell my fundraisers as a team leader. No action, no conversation is ever wasted. That person may not necessarily go vegan or donate on the spot, but the seed's been planted. They may never jump on board. You never know what's going to happen in a year's time, but they may talk to someone who will jump on board. They may never even think of us again, but if we can utilise our own unwavering kindness and passion to encourage that individual to even make one small act of kindness in their life, we've done a great job. A singular positive interaction can entirely reshape someone's preconceived notions of what it means to be vegan. Tonight, coming together, lighting these candles and standing side by side reminds us that even in our own individual struggles, we are not alone. We're never alone. We're part of a resilient community dedicated to making this world a better place. Our candles will be lighting later tonight are not only symbols of remembrance for the pigs, they are symbols of hope, of change, and for our commitment to a brighter future for animals and people alike. I just wanted to say thank you very much for everyone for being here today, for being here for the pigs. And let's keep tossing those metaphorical rocks, continue looking out for each other while we're doing it. 
going to rise together. Thank you, guys. <laughs> yeah, so that was Ali, uh, introduced by Harley. They were the first speeches from the, the vigil. Yeah. And now we've got coming up Katrina Marshall. Yes. Who's the outreach and social media coordinator for FTP. Hello. So I have a bit of a confession to make. A story to tell that I've only told a handful of people. And it's the story of how investigating Diamond Valley pork quite literally scarred me for life. The story involves a missing glove, a tall, sharp fence, and my incredible lack of balance. Sounds like a recipe for disaster, and you would be quite right, because I, I slipped and I cut open the palm of my right hand. There was a lot of swearing, bloody bandages, and an early morning trip to the emergency room. I got a tetanus shot, an x-ray, seven stitches, and felt the most excruciating pain I've felt in my entire life. But I got to walk out of DVP that night, and they didn't. And so this scar is a permanent reminder of what I am willing to sacrifice in order to bring about change for those that I leave behind. There are many moments that happened during the Ban Gas Chambers campaign and the investigation of the five gas chambers across three states that we've exposed. That when I think about them, my heart rate elevates and knots form in the pit of my stomach. So I'm gonna share a few of those with you. So this campaign was the first time that a vehicle has shown up at a facility while investigators were inside. I myself was caught in the headlights of a security vehicle whilst diving headfirst into a bush. And then there was the time that we put Chris Delforce in the maintenance ceiling of a gas chamber and I was the one who turned on the car and drove away. <laughs> the next nine hours were the most worrisome of my entire life. And finally, there was the time I was chained to the top of a gas chamber and looking down, I saw two of my friends in there. One had their arm twisted, their hair pulled and their arms grabbed by four police officers trying to forcibly remove her from the gas chamber. I remember screaming at them to stop. I remember feeling helpless because of where I was. And I remember pulling my phone out and beginning a live stream on Instagram. I live streamed for over an hour from the top of the gas chamber at Benella before I myself was removed. I had hands wrapped around my ankles, pulling me down the rungs of the ladder before I was then placed under arrest. That was at Benella. And Benella was, was the facility where I spent the most time with the pigs in the pens compared to the other facilities. There's one occasion that I remember that sticks out to me. It was around a long weekend and I remember approaching and noticing that there were many, many more pigs in those holding pens. The walkways around were filled, filled with pigs. They'd still been getting deliveries but they hadn't been killing because of the holiday. I had to climb on the gates and the metal bars that made up the holding pens just to get through. And I did so with my camera in one hand, video light on, filming, photographing. 
And it was as I got to the pens along the back wall that I saw it and I knew immediately what it was. They weren't the same pink hue that pigs usually are. They were dull, they were still, and they were rigid. They lay on their side, two legs on the ground, two suspended in the air, their back towards me. And as I got closer, I walked along a low concrete wall and I could see the front of them. And they had dried blood on their face and on the ground in front of them. And I knew that their death would have been violent and painful. And I know it sounds morbid, but I could tell it wasn't fresh, that they hadn't just died, that the workers had left them there over the long weekend. And I've seen bodies before. I've stood on top of dead piles with bodies half covered in soil. I've seen skulls outside of piggeries. But what was so unnerving about this was the 20 other pigs in that pen nudging at, sniffing at the corpse that lay next to them. And so I photographed them. Of all the things that I could photograph, I have chose dead and dying animals. And I've been a storyteller my whole life. And to me, there's no story more worth telling than these animals that were born to die. And sometimes in the office, Working for Farm Transparency, I ask myself, how did I get here? But more importantly, the question is, how do I get to not be here anymore? How do we make a world where we don't have to investigate, where we don't have to disrupt, where we don't have to hold vigils or do outreach? because the trucks aren't coming and the people know better and governments and institutions actually protect the rights of these sentient individuals. So I will work every day to make sure that the work that we do never has to be done again. What will it take? We have risked so much. We have risked life and limb. We have faced unjust laws, locked doors, tall fences, we have faced setbacks. We have had media who do not want to touch our stories. We have had federal government departments cancel meetings with us. We exist in a world that doesn't want us to win, and we go and we do it anyway. In March, we got pig gassing footage on ABC's 7.30 report. In April, we marched across Melbourne and then went and shut down a slaughterhouse. We got local and mainstream media coverage. Australian food group Abattoir, just around the corner from here, they stopped operating as a slaughterhouse. They no longer use their gas chamber because of the investigation we did. In May, Margot Andre left through the back door of APL's office buildings and Georgie Purcell gave us a Victorian inquiry into pig welfare, which includes gassing. In June, we took action across eight cities over four days, and I attended one of the biggest outreach events I've ever been a part of in Melbourne. In July, we disrupted Morel, the global manufacturers of gas chambers, at Food Pro, a food industry convention in Melbourne. We got people in all three days. And just last week, despite our gag laws and the New South Wales Surveillance Devices Act, 
We exposed Karawa slaughterhouse for their use of a carbon dioxide gas chamber. A kinder world is possible. And it starts right here, right now, with this Victorian inquiry. It starts with this one state, with this stunning method used on this one species. It starts with a ban on gas chambers. Thank you. Yeah, that was Kat's speech. At, yeah. uh, that was the daytime section of That's speeches. That's right. So unfortunately I'd missed that on the day. So, it was, you know, we're really grateful to FTP for sharing um, the audio of these speeches with us. Yeah. And then there was a second section of speeches. So again, introduced by Harley. And the first one that we're going to hear is Christy Alger. So thanks everyone for still being here. So we haven't had any trucks today. And what that says is basically that we've shut down a slaughterhouse with nothing but a Facebook event. Look, this is unprecedented and I think shows how powerful this campaign and how powerful this movement is. So if anyone ever tells you that activism does nothing, tell them this. Because usually they would have had around 10 trucks on a normal Sunday and they've had zero there are no pigs in those holding pens right now. I don't know if they're going to bring them in tonight or if they're skipping this day entirely and not killing tomorrow. We don't know. We'll find out. But regardless of what they do in the next few hours or the next few days, we've stopped them from bringing pigs in for a whole day. And that's, that's mad. And that's because all of you are here. So thank you so much. So we're going to hear from three speakers. So first off, we're going to hear from Christy Alger. So Christy's joined us all the way from Tasmania. Um, so Christy's from Animal Liberation Tasmania. She's done amazing things with amazing people and is going to give us an amazing speech. Um, we're also going to hear from the wonderful Andy Medic, who we're so grateful is joining us here today. And then we're going to hear from Chris Delfors. So yeah, we'll hear from all these people giving... You know, their stories, their very different experiences, but all with the same goal or with the same message and all with the same kind of reason that we're here, which is to see a better world for all animals. So I am delighted to welcome Christy up to come and speak to us. Hi, I'd like to acknowledge the Indigenous people from where I come from, uh, Lutruita, Tasmania, the Mamuramina peoples, uh, east of the Kutalina always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Now I'd like to say that I'm happy to be among you here today because usually seeing you all is a joy. But the truth is I'd rather have never met a single person standing here today. I would rather not have a single bond with any of you here because ours is a bond born of violence, oppression and blood. The stench in the air from an empty slaughterhouse is why we know one another. And that's pretty fucked up when you think about it. So I love you, but I'd prefer I didn't know you. So I wanted to ask a bit of a philosophical question today. What is a pig? It's two eyes and a, a nose and a mouth and a beating heart and a brain, legs, skin, flesh, internal organs. Not so different from you and I when you think about it. And yet to the rest of the world, a pig is pieces, the units of production. There's something to be consumed and to be controlled, to be hated and loathed. 
a pig is an awful thing to call a person. It brings up ideas of being greedy and violent, dirty and filthy, an animal to be shunned from our society. Pigs have been an integral part of the human experience for about 10,000 years. They've not only been used for their flesh and also for fibre, but also currency. They would be traded much the same way as we pass over a dollar coin or a $10 note. They've also been subjected to violence based on an ideology of control, of carceral control, because a pig is an other. They're not like you and me, although in our you know, pieces and bits and parts, we are essentially the same. Their crime in this world is to not be human. And so, throughout the human relationship with pigs, we have done things that I think most of you might not be aware of. We know about the gas chambers. Throughout the medieval period and into the early 1800s, there were pigs put on trial. And I don't mean symbolically, I mean actually put on trial in human courts for biting, for escaping, sometimes for killing small children because of the way they were kept. And those pigs would be taken to the gallows and they would be hung until dead, like a common criminal at the same time. They would become these symbols of carceral control in those communities where you would take this animal who was simply existing and you would hang them by the throat as they kicked and they thrashed and they foamed at the mouth for simply being a pig. Now, we like to think that we have come a long way since that period of time. You know, we have greater rights for women. We don't burn people at the stake for heresy. But have we actually changed much at all? When we will take a pig and we will place them in a gas chamber where they suffocate and where they burn from the inside out and they kick and they thrash and they foam at the mouth exactly the same way their siblings did all those hundreds of years ago, charged for the crime of being a pig. An animal made of flesh to be objectified and to become a symbol of carceral dominance in this society. Now, I, as a woman, have experienced objectification throughout my life, but it came to a head recently at the Benella action when we locked on and we shut down a slaughterhouse for the day. And I was one of seven people arrested there. And some of you may know what happened to me in police custody, where I was stripped completely naked I was made to turn around, to expose my flesh to complete strangers. Where I was looked up and down, I had to turn, bend over. I had to lift up my breasts so that I could see underneath to make sure I wasn't carrying a weapon or drugs because I had stepped out of the bounds of social norms and authority. I had called the police fucking cowards. I had said to them they had no moral compass and I told them as they arrested me that they didn't have to do this. And so they punished me, just as in places like this, the pigs are punished. And I was rendered nothing more 
than a hunk of flesh to be inspected, to be humiliated, and to be dominated. That is why my liberation as a woman, as an anti-carceral feminist, is inextricably connected to the pigs inside or who will be inside this facility and have been. We are both regarded as flesh to be dominated. We are both regarded as objects to be consumed by a carceral society that says if you step outside the bounds of the norm, you will be punished. If you are other than human, you will be punished. And we are seeing this the world over, where anyone who steps out of the cisnormative patriarchal system is othered, animalised, dominated and destroyed if possible because of colour, because of gender, because of class, because of where they're born. So when I stand here at places like this, when I chain myself into facilities, when I lock on in forests in defence of animal habitat, I'm not simply there because it's for the animals. It is as much for myself and my community saying, no, you will not look at us, human and non-human alike, as nothing more than pieces of flesh to be controlled. You will not imprison our hearts and our minds because for every chain we place on ourselves in resistance, we free ourselves that little bit more. You may arrest us, you may fine us, you may jail us, but you are never, ever going to destroy what is inside of our fucking hearts every single day. That fire that brings us to places like this, where we stand together and say, no more. And so whilst I would prefer to not know a single one of you, I am proud to stand with you and to continue to do so until these places are either shut down or they're burned to the fucking ground. Thank you. That was Christy with her speech from the... Big big, 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 big pig vigil on October hour. 22nd at um, Diamond Valley Pork in yeah. Laverton in Victoria. So one of the other things that happened at the vigil was a performance by Steph Bitter. Yeah. Who's a vegan from Bendigo. She's amazing. She's got an EP that came out, I think, last year or the year before called Playful Thoughts mm-hmm. of a Sentimental Heart. And she played two of those songs from that EP live and we're going to play them today as well. So the first one is called Better Days.
30 to 4 o'clock on Friday the 26th of January for our annual Invasion Day broadcast. Between 10 and midday we'll be broadcasting live from the March in Melbourne and throughout the day 3CR's Blackfella broadcasters will be bringing you voices of the elders, truth-telling, critical yarns with grassroots activists, deadly black music and honouring warriors past and present in the struggle for sovereignty, land back, an end to genocide and a treaty. So keep it tuned in to 3CR on Friday the 26th of January from 8.30 to 4 o'clock. If you're feeling the heat this summer, you're not alone. Our wildlife becomes stressed and unwell more quickly in hot weather. Please keep an eye out for native animals this summer, especially during a heat wave. If you have a backyard, balcony or courtyard, provide water and shade. Call Wildlife Victoria on 8400 7300 if you see wildlife in distress or for more information. To donate or volunteer, go to wildlifevictoria.org.au. Wildlife Victoria is a 3CR supporter. Have you heard of long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type long COVID as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. 
Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war, stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm, State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. Before the break, you heard Steph Bitter with her track Better Days, and that's from her EP Playful Thoughts of a Sentimental Heart. Mm. And she was a music guest at the Big Pig Vigil. Absolutely, yeah. Today we are playing some excerpts of speeches from that event. Yeah. And up next is Andy Medic. And um, just to give a bit of context, this event happened on October 22nd, 22nd, which is about a week after the referendum, referendum. last year, because yeah. Andy does mention a few things, but that, yeah. that's why it's front of mind for a lot of people. I too would first of all like to acknowledge that I'm a visitor here from Wadawarrung country in Victoria Southwest. Uh, this land was never ceded, it was stolen. And if I can just for a moment pass comment on how sad I was, sad but not surprised to see this country's racist underbelly exposed in what just occurred over the last weekend. We will have treaty in this country, we will. It won't be brought by a federal government, at least not in the first instance. Every one of us here should be proud that we live in a state that is enacting treaty now because we have a government still, change of leader, yes, but a government still that many years ago knew that it had to enact truth and treaty with First Nations people, with the original inhabitants of this land, because it was theirs, it is theirs. And there's no moving forward without moving forward together. That's why they've done what they've done. It's why South Australia is following suit. It's why Queensland is following suit. It's why Western Australia will follow suit after that. Each of these states will have a treaty with their First Nations people. And at the end of that, any federal government, doesn't matter what colour they are, red or blue, they will have no choice but to turn around and say, well, now we have to because that's what the people actually want and it's already done, so we're just going to formalise. That's what will happen. To my friends, my Wadawarung friends, my Bunurong friends, my Wadawarung friends, the Jajawarung, the Jabwarung, I know they're patient and in the words of the great Vincent Lingari, they know how to wait. And they will. And they'll see it done. This place here, for many ways for me, it's like full circle. I was uh, a rights campaigner within the union movement for many, many years. I've been a trade unionist my whole working life. People call me a communist. I'm not a communist at all. And generally speaking, when I say to people, I'm not a communist, I'm a social capitalist, they go, what? They don't know what I'm talking about because they've got such a narrow view and they're all the people that will also buy the parts of these animals that are killed here and everywhere. During my time in the construction industry, and I'd been involved in high-rise construction for 20-odd years before I was elected to Parliament, but you get injured a lot. You do. It's part and parcel. You know, we used to talk about having a three-strikes-and-you're-out policy and what we mean by that was... Generally, if you got hit the fourth time, you weren't going home. 
major construction kills or maims a worker every 10 days. It's one of the most dangerous industries to work in. And I've had mine, severed the radial artery in my left arm, six metre fall, broken ribs, punctured lung, cracked hip, snapped clavicle, broken ankles. I've had all of that. And the interesting thing about that is that the company that you work for, when you come back from WorkSafe, when you work cover, you generally get sent to the yard because they want to assess you, make sure that you're right to go back to work on the job, generally speaking. And all those years ago, I worked for a company that had a yard not too far over that way. And way back then, all I could hear every single day for three weeks was the screams of pigs at a slaughterhouse. And that had a profound impact upon me all those years ago. Because it was then that I realised that my advocacy had been limited. My viewpoint had been limited. I knew the injustices for those workers that I worked with in the union movement. I'd lost my job many times for standing up for people who were ostracised because of the colour of their skin, that they were given the sack for this, that and the other. And I stood up for them and I lost my job as a result. I'd spoken to crowds of unionists on sites about all types of injustices. I'd stood up for them. But that was just such a narrow viewpoint. Because when I heard those pigs screaming day after day after day after day, I realised that there's no difference between us and them. There is no difference. Human animal and non-human animal alike. We all have something in common. We all want to live. We all want to live a life free of pain, free of oppression, freedom of expression. We just want to live. And that started my journey. Not long after that, I stood on a road just around here in front of that very same slaughterhouse. And I stood in front of a truck that kept bashing me with his, his pull bar and moving forward till eventually the police stopped him from moving forward. I saw that as a bit of a win and that emboldened me to keep going. Now I've had a long journey to get back here and a lot of terrible things have happened along the way and a lot of good things. And this movement, this group of people has changed along the way. We've had a worldwide pandemic which split this group of people, this movement. People chose to walk the streets with oppressors. They chose to walk the streets with people who saw other people, other human beings as others, not unified, not together. It brought out the very worst of human nature. And it's an awful thing that so many people in this movement, when they went to those marches, they had a choice, you see. They could look at the people that they didn't agree with. They could look at the people that were there the people that marched down Burke Street carrying nooses with my name on them, with my family's name on them, with my friends in the Parliament's name on them, and actual Nazis who were at those rallies. Now, that's not everyone that was there, but when they saw those people, they had a choice that they could say, you know what, that's not me. I'm walking away from this. I'm not going to be standing with those people. Because if you stand with those people, you accept their attitudes. You accept their values. 
you say, I'm okay with that. And those people are okay with killing pigs, chickens, cows, any number of animals. They are okay with exploiting non-human animals for their own benefit. They don't care. They don't care about those animals. We have to now move forward as a movement. It's a fractured movement. We will not mend those bridges. We can't mend those bridges with those people, but we have to grow this movement. We have to grow awareness about what's going on with these animals. No one's doing that better than this group of people here, than Farm Transparency Project, Animal Liberation. They're a whole host. There are individuals like Christy across this country and Chris Force and Harley and others. People like you who are standing up for these animals, standing up for these others. And we all have to do it. We all have to. Now, I'm somewhat of an old man in this movement now. I'm nearly 60. And my time to be able to stand up for these animals and be listened to is fast fading. But there's young people here who can pick up that mantle, who can take that torch and run with it. And they can make the change. You see, because I studied politics for nearly 30 years. Australian, American, British politics, Asia-Pacific geopolitics for 15 years. I know it inside and out. And one thing that I've learned all over those years is the world changes because young people come through and they change it. The halls of power are filled with old white guys, okay? Making the rules and the laws that exploit and kill these animals. How do we change it? Young people who don't agree with that have to get involved in the process. They have to fill those halls of power and they have to be the ones that make the decisions and change the laws and regulations that allow this to happen. The world is changing naturally. Consuming animals is on the decline with so many other options because young people are realising it's not just cruel but the planet can't support it. It can't. So there's so many options now. Really smart people are coming up with different things for us to eat that are plant-based that don't exploit other animals. Better for the planet. So many people are realising it. So many people are switching over. That's a slow process. But until then, it's down to you guys. It's up to you to pick up the mantle and run with it. It's up to you to take that torch and carry it. It's up to you to support and continue the work of FTP, of Chris and Harley and everyone involved. It's to continue to bring this kind of action to the world, to show everybody that you won't be silenced, that people like Christy won't be silenced, that you'll continue to stand and make noise and that you'll support those who will make those changes. So thank you very much. So we just heard Andy Medic speech there at the FTP Big Pig Vigil back in October. And so the next speech that's coming up is by Christelle Force from FTP and then Harley is kind of wrapping up the event. So we'll, we'll hear those now. It'll be about 10 years now since I first read about the use of carbon dioxide gas to stun pigs in Australia's largest slaughterhouse at the time in a town called Corowa just over the New South Wales border. This gas stunning was hailed by the pig farming industry and the RSPCA as being the most humane method of rendering pigs unconscious prior to cutting open their throats. 
Controlled atmosphere stunning was what they decided to call it, presumably because gas chambers had such inconveniently negative connotations. Details were sparse, but apparently when exposed to the gas, pigs would gently drift off to sleep, unaware that they were being suffocated, free of pain, free of fear. I called bullshit. I started asking around and learned that some years prior, a small delegation, including representatives from animal welfare groups, were invited into the slaughterhouse to view the process. But from the outside of the chamber, there's not much to view. Pigs go in one end into a suspended gondola. They're lowered out of sight, and then a couple of minutes later, the same gondola rises at the other side, and pigs are tipped out unconscious. It was described as a sort of macabre ferris wheel. The only way to find out what was really happening to the pigs inside that chamber would be to put in a hidden camera. After some daylight recon, our small team, who had been inside a bunch of dodgy factory farms and a couple of small slaughterhouses, decided we were going to try and find our way inside this behemoth that employed a thousand staff and killed 20,000 pigs a week. And on a hot summer night in January 2014, we did just that. With no idea what the gas chamber looked like, we made our way all around the building, over the roof, through the maintenance ceiling, poking snake cameras through vents. Eventually, we came across an open room in which a large enclosed shaft extended into the ceiling above. This had to be it. Around the corner, beside a staircase, there was a tall white cylinder adorned with the words liquid carbon dioxide. We climbed the stairs, opened a door, and found ourselves looking through a metal maintenance grate into the gas chamber. Despite our hidden camera arrangement back then being prohibitively large and actually difficult to hide, we managed to place two cameras inside that grate pointing into the chamber and captured for the first time in the world just how humane this process really was. Screaming, gasping for air, thrashing, convulsing, pushing their noses through the bars, desperate to escape. Up to three of them every 30 second rotation of the gondolas. It was clear that this was never about being humane. It was about greed, killing as many pigs as quickly as possible. Why spend 15 seconds holding an electric stunner into a single pig's head and then have to drag them out of the restraint and onto a bench before you can start on the next one when you can have an automated machine do three at a time on a constant loop? This is how they were able to kill 4,000 every weekday. But Korowa was not the only slaughterhouse with a gas chamber. It was just the first. They'd installed it in 1992. In the 22 years between that chamber quietly coming into operation and our hidden cameras revealing it to the world, all the major pig slaughterhouses across Australia had installed similar chambers, including here at Diamond Valley Pork in 2002. So for those 22 years, this industry had been excruciatingly suffocating millions and millions of pigs, completely unknown to almost the entire country. And those who did know about it were either sold a lie about pigs gently drifting off to sleep or were actively involved in selling that lie. The reaction to the Korowa footage from the industry was to pin it on a couple of staff, fire them and retrain the others at the facility and suggest that the concentration of gas must have been wrong for pigs to have such an apparently unusual adverse reaction. Naturally, once more, we called bullshit and set out to prove that this was a systemic issue. Just a few months later, we captured similar footage in South Australia's largest pig slaughterhouse, Big River Pork, by 2015, we'd set our sights on Victoria. Diamond Valley, as the largest in the state, killing around 6,000 pigs a week at that time, was our next target. Now we had smaller, easier to hide, higher quality cameras that meant we could get much better footage.
but the battery life meant we could only record for a limited time, which meant coming when we knew there'd be workers present. We had no choice but to dash across open lit up areas when their backs were turned or hide midway through installing the cameras when a cleaner in the next room heard a noise and came to investigate. Somehow we succeeded and were able to show now more clearly than ever the suffering of pigs inside these chambers. So what was the response this time? Were gas chambers banned? Did Diamond Valley Pork shut its doors? Did the industry acknowledge it had been lying and that this was the furthest thing imaginable from humane? No, instead Diamond Valley Pork began construction on an entirely new, much larger kill room with a much larger gas chamber. One capable of suffocating not just three pigs at a time in each condola, but up to ten. And with this design, they didn't even need workers to move the pigs from the holding pens up the race and force them into the chamber. This one has automated sliding walls that push the pigs every step of the way until they find themselves in a pen beside the chamber. The wall of the chamber lifts up and the wall of the pen closes in, pushing the pigs into the gondola. South Australia's two major pig slaughterhouses, along with Swickers in Queensland, all upgraded to these bigger automated chambers too. Our footage was becoming outdated and losing relevance. To my knowledge, in the years since DVP had completed their upgrades and started employing almost round-the-clock security guards, nobody had tried, and certainly not succeeded, to get inside. But on a hot summer night in February this year, we did just that. Over several nights spanning over a month, we avoided security, at times having to dress up as workers, and managed to get inside the new chamber and install cameras. Around the same time, we went back to where it all began, nine years earlier, capturing new footage at the Corowa Slaughterhouse, knowing that if we were to ever release that footage, we were risking up to five years in prison under a New South Wales ag-gag law. And earlier this week, we released that footage. In the nine years since we first exposed these gas chambers, the only thing that's changed is that they've gotten bigger. Even now, the CEO of Australian Pork Limited continues to lie through her teeth, even to Senate estimates hearings about how humane it all is, how the pigs just peacefully fall asleep. State and federal governments won't meet with us, won't acknowledge that there's a problem. And I get that, because if they acknowledge the problem, they have to acknowledge that the only solution at this point is to shut down the Corowa Slaughterhouse, to shut down Diamond Valley Pork, to shut down the whole damn industry. But as word and our footage continues to spread about what happens behind these walls, it is inevitable that one day they won't have a choice. Until that day, we show up, we bear witness, we let these bastards know that their decades of operating unseen, unquestioned and unchallenged are over. Thank you. I just want to say a couple of thank yous. So again, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone here. I was talking to someone earlier about how cursed we've been this year with every big event we've had when we've publicized, we've had the worst possible weather. But in a way, I think I kind of like it when we have shit weather for events because the people who still come, still stay, those are the people I want to take action with. Um, and just seeing everyone here today showing up, not complaining, not staying home just because it's a bit windy and a bit wet. I mean, that's what inspires me to keep going. And I think this movement that we have around us is such an amazing group of people, a group of people who know that we are fighting 
playing a long game. We're fighting a fight that's going to keep going long after we're all dead. And we may not see change soon, but we know that we will see change eventually. So I want to thank you all for being here, for staying here, and yeah, for inspiring each other and inspiring me every day. That was Harley uh, wrapping up the speeches from the event. And that finishes up our replay of some of the speeches from the event. Absolutely. So a big thanks to FTP for sharing the audio files. We're really happy to bring this to the audience because not everyone can get to events. And even if you were there, you might want to hear them again. Yeah. So that's fantastic. At least now it's on an archive so people can point people to the podcast and uh, you can listen to it whenever you need or if you want to invite it to other people to listen to it you can do that as well yeah absolutely a couple of quick things there is a fantastic new book that's come out called flavors of freedom which Mm. are vegan recipes for palestine oh cool so there are 28 recipes that have been put together with contributions by global majority vegans with um, an original essay and all mm. of the profits will go to Salala Animal Rescue in Gaza oh, wow. and the Palestinian Children Relief Fund. So it's a great book. I think it's $10 US, but $15 Australian. Yep. We'll put the link up in the show notes if you're interested in checking that out. Yeah. And then the other thing to mention is that next Friday, January 26th, is Invasion Day. Yep. So there are lots of events that are happening across the country if you'd like to participate in them. In Nam, there is going to be really quite a fantastic event as Invasion Day supported by Free Palestine Melbourne, right. um, who you know have had their weekly Palestinian solidarity rallies on Sundays, but they are joining forces because... You know, I think there's so much shared history and shared solidarity there. So if you are interested, please look that up. We'll share that in the show notes as well. It's going to be fantastic. That sounds great. So next week, Freedom of Species, Claire is doing some interviews with some free Palestine organisers from regional areas. So tune in. That'll be Sunday after Invasion Day. Brilliant. Um, That should be a great show. And after us is Rotations, of course. They're on every Sunday between two and three. We're going to finish now with another song from Steph Bitter from that same EP. Yeah. And this last track, it's called The Straw. Die. B-
But they don't care about your life It's for the taste, the greed and the pride listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.